Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. In this episode, we build with Jeff Buner. 28 years ago, Jeff came across the writings of the richest man to ever walk the earth, Sultan Musa of Mali. The Sultan could not talk openly about how he learned these secrets, so he embedded the principles of his success in a fairy tale that we all know today. It's the story of Aladdin. At the age of 12, Musa had a near-death experience in which he met a man made of light who taught him how the world works, how creation works. Contained in his writings is something called the language of the gods. And when you speak this language, the world obeys your commands. As Jeff just dabbled in speaking this language, some very strange coincidences occurred. So he got serious about speaking it, and his whole world changed. He went from making $60,000 a year as a concrete guy to making hundreds of thousands a month. Over the past 28 years, Jeff has successfully mentored and coached countless others to speak this all-important language that changes everything. And when you learn to speak the language of the gods, you can drastically improve your sales, success, fitness, relationships, and anything else you desire. So on today's pod, Jeff shares the story of Sultan Musa of Mali and tells us how we can speak the language of the gods. Enjoy. Super excited to welcome Jeff Buner to the Build With Clay podcast today. So today we're going to build with Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the pod. Hey, Clay, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. And I saw your name come across my inbox and I said, this guy is super interesting. Seems like he is dedicated to making others better, wanting others to be better, and uh, just excited to have you on the podcast. This is really what this pod is all about. So really excited to have you here. So we've got I always do some silly get to know you questions. So I got three or four of them here. I'll throw them out to you. Would you rather have a loud laugh or no laugh at all? A loud laugh. Absolutely. Would you rather be able to talk to wild animals or domesticated animals? Domesticated animals. Why is that? I don't know. Just I'm thinking of my dog, you know, all the dogs I've loved, the pets we've had. I grew up on a farm. I'd like to know what's going on in their heads. (laughs) What'd you have out on the farm? Oh man, we had uh, everything from cattle all the way down to pigs, chickens, just a normal farm. Be fascinating to know what they were thinking. Oh yeah, probably uh, you wouldn't like them after you knew, but maybe (laughs) they wouldn't like us. Who knows? (laughs) Although I like, I'm going to separate dogs from that because I think if we knew what dogs are thinking, they would just, they're just so happy all the time. Love you unconditionally. It's one of the best things walking in a house and getting the, getting the dog love. Dogs are the best. Would you rather work as a CEO for low salary or do manual labor for a high salary? 
Ooh, that's a good one. When I was young, manual labor for a high salary. I loved working hard out in the sunshine. Um, now that I'm older, no thanks. <laughs> I'd take the CEO and uh, lower salary. Lower salary and no back problems. Yep. All right, last one. You're going about to go on a road trip with your family. You're going to be in the passenger seat. And you guys pop over to uh, your your local gas station. They've got everything. They got everything you need. And you get to pick one drink and one snack. What are you grabbing? Oh, I'm a beef jerky and water. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. So I always ask my guests two questions. You're no different. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, how would you define a growth mindset? It's a great question. Um, Being willing to ask the right questions, really any questions, but the right questions is really important for growth. And how would you define your purpose or your why in life? Well, right now, my purpose is sharing a gift that I was given that made my life happy, made it fun, made it productive, successful. And uh, it it really, I've had a magical life. It didn't start out that way. And so I view this as an incredible gift. And then I view being able to share it now with modern technology to a lot more people as an even bigger gift. It's a riot. Well, we're going to hopefully get into a lot of that and accomplish your why or your purpose a little bit today by giving, giving that gift back. And I want to go through your journey a little bit, um, but I know that through getting to know you through your website and book and other things that there's going to be probably a lot of references about how these teachings, this gift that you were given earlier in life can lead to a happy life. Happy is a, a big word, it can mean a lot of different things. So how would you define what a happy life is? That's a great question, too. A happy life is a life where you've defined what you want and you have the control to get it. Most people don't feel like they have control. And so that makes them live in a state of fear. But there's a big scale. Like if you tell someone, hey, you're living in fear, they'll push back on that. And they'll say, no, I'm not. But there's everything from worry and concern and kind of fretting and what could happen or this isn't going right, all the way to full-blown panic, anxiety. And somewhere on that scale, if you're anywhere on that scale, you don't have to be. And that's something that people uh, can't believe at first. But when I tell them why... They get it. And once you get off of that scale, life is fun. But you have Hmm. to have control. you got to learn to seize control of your life. And you can. Yeah, it's interesting. That makes me think about, I've referenced this in some other podcasts, but uh, are you familiar with Viktor Frankl? I've heard the name. So he was in concentration camps. He's a Holocaust survivor. He um, He was a doctor, professor, and he wrote this book called a man's search for meaning. And so what you were just talking about made me think about his motive was basically he was stripped of everything. 
right? Yeah. I mean, he's in a Holocaust, Holocaust camp. He was stripped of his family, his friends, his belongings. I mean, the shirt off of his back. I mean, he was reduced to absolutely nothing. And what he talked about was how they can't take away how he reacts to something. Right. So they can take away everything except to how he reacts to it. That's the only thing that they can't control. And it was, yeah. so it was really interesting. I'm, and I'm curious how the teachings and the, and the, the things that you've learned over time um, compare to that kind of thought process. But I, I, I think often when I am in a, in a rut or I feel like that I don't have control over something, I sit there and think, well, if Viktor Frankl, who is in the worst possible human thing that could have ever happened to anyone, can sit there and think that he still has control, then I can probably take control back. Yeah, that's a great uh, concept, and it's true. Everything I'm going to share with you is going to be somewhat counterintuitive. But if you're if you don't feel like life is going great, or some areas are going great, but others you're really suffering under, you know, maybe in a relationship or work or whatever. You have to do something different. And maybe, and I'm not talking about, you know, quit going to work and uh, uh, be a bum or, you know, I'm talking about seeing it differently, viewing it differently, thinking about it differently. You, if it's not going well, you've got to be willing to take a different angle and look at it differently and think about it differently. And that can change everything. You know, yeah, reframing. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And so what I'm going to teach, uh, what I tell people, and by the way, I didn't come up with any of this. I'm not smart enough to do this. So uh, everything I'm going to tell people comes from the writings of Sultan Musa of Mali. And we'll jump into this. This guy was unbelievable. And it changed my life, but freaked me out when I read it. Because... I was doing everything that I thought was right, that the world taught me to do. For example, focusing on my problems and taking them very seriously and trying to figure it out, you know, come up with a solution. Um, <laughs> I don't want to jump into it too, too deep yet without a little background, but um, sometimes letting go of the worry and just accepting is right when the answer comes. Hmm. But we'll get into that. We'll talk. We will. That. Let's. So where, where do you want to start with this, Jeff? Let's start with uh, just where I was when I came across the writings of Sultan Moose of Mali, because I think your audience is going to relate to that. The people who need to hear what I'm about to say will relate to it. And if they don't, then that's okay. It's just a fun story. I was a very frustrated 33-year-old concrete contractor working really hard for my money. And I made money, you know, like $60,000, $80,000 a year. And we could get by on that as long as not too much went wrong. But stuff did go wrong. I had one kid my middle kid cost me $60,000 when he was born. He had to be in the preemie unit, the ICU, and I didn't have insurance. So I had all this financial responsibility 
I was working myself into the ground and still feeling like I was kind of sliding down the hill backwards, two steps forward, maybe two and a half back down the mud. And it got to where, I mean, this had been going on for years and years, and I was so frustrated, but I couldn't see any way to change my situation. I was so trapped. Um, This is kind of illegal now, but uh, I used to sort of rob Peter to pay Paul, like try to hurry and finish one job so that I could pay the concrete bill or steel bill for jobs, you know, two back or three back. You had a a pyramid scheme or something going. (laughs) Pretty much, you know. And I couldn't afford to quit. I, I couldn't afford to go do something else. Plus, it's like the only thing I knew how to do in my mind. I couldn't imagine succeeding at anything else. So I was just so frustrated. At the same time, the same time frame, I thought my wife really appreciated that I was working all the time. And even most holidays, I took Christmas off, you know, maybe Easter. But I, 4th of July, I was working. And from sun up to sun down. And about this time frame, she told me that she was very unhappy and uh, I wasn't there to help with the kids. We weren't doing anything fun. And this was devastating to me because, again, I just, I was working. I had to work as hard as I was working. I couldn't work any harder. I was dead tired. I wasn't having fun either. But this kind of shattered my whole, let's just say faith in being able to have a happy life. I thought life just sucks. That's what it's about. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'm not going to actively do, do anything about it, but if I were to die, uh, you know, just go to sleep and not wake up in the morning, that'd be just fine. That's about where I was. And it's I think place people, to be. I think people can relate to that. Maybe not like right now, but in their past, they've felt a little of that. Maybe you got some coming in the future if you uh, if you don't listen to what I'm going to tell you today. Anyway, that's where I was, and I happened to pour concrete for a couple. They were older. I They looked really old to me, but they might have been younger than I am now. <laughs> but they had kind of the silver hair, and they were obviously wealthy. The homes they were remodeling were just these beautiful homes in these old, beautiful neighborhoods that I could never afford to live in, and uh, or at least felt that way at the time. But there was something more, Clay. They were elegant people. Like a lot of rich people I'd worked for, but they wouldn't talk to you. They wouldn't interact with my crew. Yeah, you were beneath them. Yeah. These people were kind loving. They were just wonderful people. And the lady especially was talking to me one morning and I took that opportunity to just tell her that she and her husband had everything I wanted in life, but I could see no way to get it. And sadly that devolved into me kind of complaining, talking about how unfair everything was. I was working harder than everyone I knew. And yet you know, I couldn't afford a nice house and I was in debt. And in the middle of that conversation, she turned around and left. 
And I was so embarrassed. This is my one chance to talk to somebody who's like really cool, someone I really admired, and I blew it by complaining to her. But she came back a little while later and handed me a manuscript. So it wasn't a book. It was just a stack of papers with a big clip on it. And she said, read this tonight and bring it back to me tomorrow. Now, I had no way of knowing that in that moment, my prayers for a better life had just been answered. But I wasn't going to read this. I thought, lady, you, you don't understand my life. I'm going to go home tonight at 7 o'clock. You know, the crew will go home at 5, but I got to go sell. I got to collect money. I got to pick up supplies. And But I smiled and said, thank you, you know, and I just went and put it in my truck and thought, there's no way I'm reading a paper, you know, especially like an inch and a half thick. But that night, I happened to read the first page and stayed up all night long reading the whole thing and taking notes. This manuscript told the story of a real man in history named Sultan Musa of Mali. This guy is the, the richest man to ever walk the earth. You think of, you know, who would you throw out as the richest guys you know now? Yeah, Bezos or Musk or... Okay, this guy yeah. was richer than both of them combined in the 1300s. Must have had he, a lot of gold. Yeah, he had a lot of gold. He had a lot of everything. But his beginnings were unbelievable. His father died when he was a little boy, and that plunged him and his mother into unbelievable poverty. Like the kind we can't, if you're poor right now and you think, oh, I'm, I'm not doing too well. No, you can't. Your situation is so good compared to his. His mother couldn't feed him uh, even one full meal she couldn't guarantee him a meal every day. Certainly never two. You know, it was like maybe one. He had to go out and steal food to survive. Hmm. So at the age of 12, he falls in with an older thief who promises him riches. And he goes along with this guy and helps pull off this caper. They rip off this wealthy family. But of course, this little idiot, you know, he, he doesn't get any of the riches. Instead, the older thief tries to murder him. He seals him in a cave and leaves him to die. And Musa does die. Like three days, no water. He has what we call a near-death experience. And in this near-death experience, he meets a man made of light and love. And uh, he learns all these astonishing things about how the world works, how creation works, how we work, how people work. And there's no judgment. This man made of light doesn't talk to him about ripping off this family, none of the other things he's done wrong, just full of love and teaching, goodness, kindness. And he falls in love with this man made of light. But the man made of light tells him, you have to go back. Your time isn't up yet. And he assures him that he'll find his way out of the cave. 
which he does. That's another story. He gets out of the cave. He survives this. And then he uses the principles, basically seven of them, to absolutely turn his life around. He becomes very wealthy. And the first thing he does with uh, gold that he acquired, he, he figured out how to find gold deposits and salt deposits. Uh, he recompensed the family that he helped steal their wealth from tenfold. So he gave them 10 times what they lost and set them up as you know very, very wealthy. But he was incredibly benevolent. He loved the man made of light. He just wanted to be like the man made of light and love. And he embedded the secrets to his success in a fairy tale that is so compelling that after centuries, almost everyone on earth is familiar with it. And he did that because he wanted everyone to know what he knew, to be able to live life the way he lived it. And you might ask, why? You know, why did he put it in a fairy tale? Well, <laughs> this was the 1300s. You don't just come out one day and say, hey, uh, I died yesterday, and I met God, and he taught me all these things that our, our most learned scholars know nothing about, but then I came back to life, you know, and here I am, and it's an easy way to get in a lot of trouble, maybe even killed. So he, he wrote this fairy tale, but he wrote tons and tons of stuff. He wrote a second parchment, and the reason I talk in, to, in terms of two parchments is uh, if you fast forward 300 years, a guy named Antoine Gallant, a Frenchman, uh, got two parchments from a Syrian fisherman, both written by Sultan Musa of Mali. The first was the fairy tale, and the second parchment uh, had a tutorial on this thing we're going to talk about called the language of the gods. And Musa said, if you speak this language, the world will obey your commands. So think of that for a minute. I'm reading this as a concrete guy, you know, the world will obey my commands. Well, where's this language? You know, flip, flip, flip. There it is. This is how you do it. But even Antoine Gallant, who was absolutely honest about, he didn't write the fairy tale, he published it. And this is Aladdin and the Magic Lamp. He hmm. even changed the name. The, the name was not Aladdin. Antoine did that. Uh, the name was something, I didn't write it down, but it was something like Bin Allah, which meant child of God. And then uh, Antoine changed that to Aladdin, which as far as I know means nothing. I've asked guys who speak Arabic, they're like, oh, no, not really anything. Hmm. But Antoine only published the fairy tale because he was terrified of what was in that second parchment. Talked of God, uh, out-of-body experiences, of course, two bodies, two minds, uh, you know, all these different concepts that he felt like if he published it, he'd lose his career, possibly his life. You know, this was the 1600s. People were still put to death for the crime of heresy. You had to be careful what you said. Then you kind of have to be careful what you say now. 
but we can talk about near-death experiences at least and uh, uh, just concepts that are in that second parchment. But it's interesting to note, Clay, um, Antoine went on, he read the second parchment, no doubt about that. He went on to experience unbelievable success and even fame and fortune. But he kept that second parchment locked away and just handed it down generation to generation. He never published it. So then you get to this manuscript that has this data. Yeah, so I'm looking at the language of the gods, and if you speak it, the world obeys your commands. And I'm like, holy crap, here it is. It wasn't ambiguous. It was right there in black and white, spelled out how you do it. So all of a sudden, I'm filled with the kind of hope and excitement that I don't think I'd ever felt. I mean, take Christmas morning and times it by about 100. (laughs) But I'm terrified to try it because what if it doesn't work? Or what if it worked for Musa? What if it worked for this lady, but what, and then it didn't work for me. But I finally got around to like trying it on things that didn't matter all that much. What's an example of that? Um, friendships, like somebody who I, I felt like we had a strained friendship. So th- this language isn't, has nothing to do with what comes out of your mouth. It doesn't even have much to do with uh, thinking. Like, you know, people do these affirmations and they think, I am rich, I am rich. It's not that. Um, And I'll tell you what it is in a minute, but I want to give you this background because uh, when I spoke it, weird coincidences started popping up. And it happened often enough And all of them lined up perfectly with how I was speaking this language of the gods to the point where I couldn't deny anymore, I'm doing that. I did that. I did that. I caused that to happen. Now, people think, wait a minute, you can't cause things to happen, but you do. We're creators. Look around you. Skyscrapers, cars, jets flying in the air, your cell phone. People are creators. It's just we've, we've been trained to think that we're not. And I tell people, hey, you know, did, when's the last time you had a bowl of cereal? You know, you did that. You created that. You it started with a desire. You had a picture of what you wanted. And then you went and hunted down. You went in the pantry and got the cereal. You got out a bowl of milk, spoon stuck in it, you know, and then you're enjoying your cereal. That's what we do. But you've been told since you were a little kid, we can't do anything big because you have to know all about it. It's not true. Um, Every successful person uses this language of the gods to create their success. But because they haven't codified it, they they can't tell you exactly what they did. You have people who are unbelievably successful in one area of life and then abject failures in other areas of life. But in this manuscript, it was absolutely codified. 
This is how you do it. And then I applied it uh, to finances and I mean, everything went nuts. I mean, like, I'll just give you an idea. I told you I made about 60 to 80,000 a year. Within a relatively short period of time, I was making that and more every single month. It got to where I had so much money coming from different sources and cars and homes and that I literally used the first three of the seven secrets to slow it down a little bit. It was like too much. It was coming at me like, like drinking out of a fire hose. That's how real this is. So let's go back to Sultan Musa Mali for a second. This guy uh, changed his life around, became the richest man to ever walk the earth, wrote it all down, and was absolutely dedicated to teaching it. But he used the fairy tale to start the conversation. And if anyone started calling him out or went to whoever the authorities and got him in trouble, he could just say, hey, it's just a story, man, you know, chill out. But it's said of him that he started construction on a new school every Friday. And he instructed the teachers to teach these principles. And he single-handedly lifted the entire Mali kingdom, which was like, well, he expanded it like crazy. So it was almost all of West Africa when he was done. But he lifted them out of poverty. They were happy. They're, they're in the history books. So is he, by the way. Uh, National Geographic did a little thing on him. So you can read about him. He was so benevolent that when he, he made his, uh, what do you call it, Pil pilgrimage to Mecca, he gave away so much gold along the way to the peasants that ran out to meet his caravan that it collapsed the Egyptian market. It took about two years for their economy to come back because he gave away so much gold. The guy was just a, a lover. And all of this before he became sultan. He was so rich and so benevolent and lifted everybody and taught and then became sultan. So anyway, that's him. And uh, I want to get into, because people are listening and they're like, oh, okay, you know, language of the gods, you changed your life. Um, I want to give you a taste of this because... It's so simple that it may actually piss you off. Sorry for that. Make you mad when you find out what it is you've been doing and versus how creation works. Everything that you want, uh, the perfect sweetheart, or the perfect relationship with the sweetheart you have, uh, uh, the perfect career, more money, better health, all of that already exists in this kind of magical place called out there somewhere. You know, if you're a young lady and you're looking for love and, and you're not finding the right guy and you're out there, you know, you need, you want this right person to come along. Well, he's out there and he's looking for you. 
but you need something to make your paths cross. You need something to bring you together and make it work. If you're a CEO and you're about ready to go bankrupt and you, because you can't figure something out, you need an idea, you need the information or the system or something to come to you, how do you get that to happen? It's out there. The solution is out there. It's all, everything's been created. It's all there. How do you get it to come to you? And therein lies the, the literal answer to a happy life. Okay, so now we got to jump into this a little deeper, but I'm going to give away my book. Anyone who's listening can download the book for free. It's kind of my mission to just, this was given to me. I was going to retire on my farm about three years ago, and I just got the strongest feeling that I can't do that until I've shared this with a lot more people. And I'd shared it with a you know fair number of people, but one-on-one, you know, sitting in my office, somebody who's about ready to commit suicide, you know, and then they're totally open to listening to this and trying it. And every single person who tries it the way I teach them to goes on to experience miracles, literally miracles, and just a, a way improved life way happier, more productive. Uh, I've brought so many people back from the brink of suicide. I was called to a a motel one night by a close friend. And one of our friends was sitting there on the bed with a gun in his hand. And uh, he's not the first, he probably won't be the last, but I taught him these principles asked him if he'd be willing to turn his life into a game. I taught him the game that changes everything. He loved it. He was excited. He said he'd do it. He'd try it. Uh, He set, he pushed his day out five months. He said he'd give it five months. And if nothing changed, he was still going to get out of here. But everything changed. Everything changed. Not necessarily within the five-month period, but certainly uh, by the, you know, things were changing. And by the time his date came, he had no interest in committing suicide. Yeah, he He saw the momentum. Yeah. (laughs) So let's jump into the details of this a little bit. Um, Musa learned some things from the man made of light that I've got to touch on. So... Number one, he learned that he had two bodies. He had a spirit body and a physical body. And the body that was alive, the one talking to the man made of light, the one that was still, uh, you know, very much alive, let's just put it that way, is the spirit body. The physical body was dead back in the cave, worth nothing. You know, you could poke it can't feel anything. It can't talk, can't move. The spirit body has the life. And the spirit body is immortal. It can never die. And he learned that it is a literal child of God. So that's something to think about. Your spirit body, my spirit body, the ones with the the life are literal children of God. Now, I had had an experience at the age of 18 
where I died in a rodeo, meaning my spirit body popped out of my physical body. Uh, and it was so natural. The second I knew I was a dead man, uh, that, that hoof was right on my chest and we're going down to the ground and I knew it was going to stomp me into the ground all the way to the horse on my chest. I knew my heart would stop. I knew I was dead. My spirit body popped out like I'd done it a thousand times and I was in a, a little bit different realm and I thought to myself, okay, I'm fine. I don't have any pain. I was just like I'd be right now. And I was worried about what my mom would think. She never wanted me to rodeo in the first place. She hated it. I knew that when she got the news, she'd be quite upset. I even worried that they're never going to get the truck home because I had hid the key. And I knew nobody's finding that key. You know, how are they going to get the truck home? Things like that. Uh, but then, you know, my body got my spirit body got sucked back into my physical body and I survived that. It's pretty sore for a while, but I survived it. So I knew that part was true. I'm reading this at 33 and had had that experience. So I knew, yeah, that's, that's for sure how it works. But then here's another one. You have two minds. You have a conscious mind that you think of as you, but then you have a subconscious mind, which he called the veiled mind, but we, we're all familiar with the subconscious mind concept. And that mind controls your life. It runs the show. I can do demonstration after demonstration without hypnosis to prove that there are certain things. I mean, your subconscious mind will let you uh, think you're in control, but it controls everything. And... All we're doing here is playing a role. That's all we're doing. We're, we're playing a role. The best way to think of the conscious mind is to think of an actor on a stage who gets into character and stays there. He's dedicated to this role. The subconscious mind or veiled mind is the stage manager and a really, really good one. Like whatever role the stage manager thinks it is you're playing, he will set the stage of your life, he or she, in a way that is congruent with the role you're dedicated to playing. This word congruent is going to come up. It, it, its job is to keep your life congruent. But you can change your role anytime you want. You have the right to and you have the ability to, and all you have to do is tell your subconscious mind in the only language it hears, responds to, and obeys, the language of the gods, and it will. you tell it the role you want to play, the new role you want to play, and it will very quickly reset the stage of your life to be congruent with that new role. You can see this in life, in other people. You see it everywhere, like sports team is getting creamed in the first half. And then they go in the locker room. And the team that comes out after halftime is not even the same kids. It's like 
all of a sudden they're hitting harder and running faster and they don't go down when they get hit and they start creeping back and they win by a touchdown. And you think, what happened? Well, what happened was the coach gave them the pep talk of their life, changed the way they saw the game, changed the way they saw their role, what they could do, what they were capable of doing, what they should do. And once he did that, Everything changed. But how did these kids tell their subconscious minds that everything's different now? We're going to go out and play different. All right. I told you earlier, your subconscious mind doesn't listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Doesn't even care about the scattered thoughts you think in a day. It listens to a very primitive but very reliable medium, and that's feelings. Your feelings are always true. They just are. You are what you feel. And they may not be helpful. They may not be uh, leading you to success. They might be leading you in the exact opposite direction, but they're true. So your subconscious mind, well, let's go back to the, the, uh, the fairy tale, which is Aladdin and the magic lamp. You have your subconscious mind is your inner genie, and it's the all-powerful genie. It can get you anything you want if you speak to it in the right language. And it only says two things. One is a question. What is wanted? What do you want? And the other is a statement. Your wish is my command. But here's the thing. It's always asking. It's asking you right now. What do you want, Clay? And you're answering by the way you're feeling. Feelings is the language of the gods. So back to when Musa met this man made of light, he didn't have to tell the man made of light who he is. And the man made of light didn't have to tell Musa anything. They could feel each other's emotions. And there you are. That's you. This is me. Can't lie about it. This is how I feel about everything. And, you know, you obviously just feel nothing but love and goodness and kindness and helpfulness. And, and I know that without having to learn. I can just feel it. Now, this feelings, I say feelings, but it really, uh, I'll throw out some words that make it even more clear. So you speak to your subconscious mind in this language of feelings, and then it speaks back to you in the language of feelings. And that's how it directs your life and keeps your life congruent with your predominant feelings. So it's not just feelings, it's promptings, instincts, attitudes, motivations, you know, inspiration, anything like that. It's you get that from your subconscious mind. It's talking to you in feelings all the time. But you're talking to it in feelings. So think of this circular, like, spell you're caught in. You wake up in the morning, and habitually you start thinking the same things, which makes you feel the same way, say, your finances or your relationship or your health. 
and you do it every morning like clockwork, and you start feeling, let's take finances, like you start feeling about your finances, and let's say they're not great, so you're not feeling very good. Well, as you think about your finances, your subconscious mind feeds you what you feel about your your finances. And as you wallow in those feelings and entertain them, it hears them because you're feeling them and believes them in terms of these are your predominant feelings and then keeps your life congruent. So let's say you want to change something. Like in my case, I needed to get out of being a manual laborer, just trading my time for money. Uh, I needed to make a lot more money, but I didn't know how to do anything else. So how do you, how was I supposed to change the way I felt about my finances uh, to tell my subconscious mind to change my stage, to change my life? Well, you can't look to reality because that's why you feel the way you do. So here comes your superpower. This is your ability to imagine and pretend. So in my case, you know, I had very little cash. Every time I got paid, I had to turn around and write checks and it was a little bit coming in and all of it going out. But I wanted to experience having a wad of that in the bank that's all mine. And so I played around. Oh, by the way, there's, <laughs> I hope this isn't injecting anything confusing, but there are certain games that your subconscious mind won't go along with because it just, it, uh, again, it's listening to your feelings, not your, your words. So affirmations, you can say them all you want. It's not going to change anything. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. Your subconscious mind knows you're not rich. You're only saying that because you're poor and you wish you were rich. But there are other games that your subconscious mind absolutely loves. And these are the pretend and imagine games like, and you got to ask the right questions in the right way. What would it feel like to have a million dollars under my mattress? What would that feel like? Well, your subconscious mind is already tied into not only your experiences and your memories, but it's tied into all knowledge, all wisdom. It's tied into God. It's, it's tied into everybody else's subconscious minds. So it will feed you the answer to that question, even though, how do you know? You've never had a million dollars under your mattress. But all of a sudden, it will tell you in the language of feelings exactly what it would feel like to have a big wad of cash under your mattress or buried in a, a drum out in the backyard or whatever it is that you ask the question, what would it feel like if? Or something happened and I have a paid off home. What would that feel like? Boom, it'll tell you. It's exactly what it would feel like. Um, something happens and I'm, all of my physical problems are gone and I feel strong and healthy and, and fit. 
What would that feel like? Boom, it'll tell you. Now here's the funny thing. You just asked a question, what would it feel like to have like tons of cash and be out of debt? And it told you. But now as you stay in that daydream, let's call it, of being debt-free, having cash, you're experiencing the emotions that are associated with that experience and your crazy subconscious mind is believing the feelings it's feeding you because now you're experiencing the, them consciously. It believes them. And if you do that with enough intensity and enough consistency, it will believe your new predominant feelings about finances and then go to work to make your life congruent with your new predominant feelings that are in defiance of reality. You're still poor, nothing's changed, but you're feeling wealthy. You're feeling good, all using your ability to pretend and imagine. So when I figured this out, the very first time I did it, like when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to redesign my life. I'm going to, I'm going to define what I want out of life based on feelings. Like, how do I want to feel about my career? What I do for a living? How do I want to feel about being a dad or a husband? When I got this figured out, and I did it pretty quick, really, uh, I took one day just sitting in a comfortable chair with a yellow pad and a pen and just identified how I wanted to feel about every aspect of my life and then started asking the questions to my subconscious mind, which is basically, what would have to happen for me to feel like this about my finances? How much money a month would I have to have coming in to feel the way I want to feel, which is secure? Feel like I can buy the things I want and uh, pay off stuff. And when I started playing this game that I call the game that changes everything, your subconscious mind will tell you the answers to these questions that you're asking. <laughs> it's just a a bizarre little circular uh, thing that's going on. It knows the answers to everything. And your subconscious mind deals in miracles. So as soon as you command it in the right language, feelings, the miracles will start happening. And you don't have to identify what they are. You can think about you know, how is my subconscious mind going to set me up with a different business that makes plenty of money and also gives me free time to be a good father and a good husband? Maybe it'll happen like this. Maybe it'll happen like that. But again, your subconscious mind doesn't need you telling it anything. It's going to surprise you how it happens. But if you're flooding it with the feelings of having what you want, it'll go get it. Jeff, you mentioned intensity and consistency yeah. in terms of how often you're doing this and how intensely you're telling your subconscious this. Yeah. Could you quantify that? 
Okay, I got to be careful here, so let me explain this. I live in a constant state of daydream. So I don't care about reality. But my reality has, over time, comported to my daydreams. So everything on my uh, dream boards, my dream sheets, is the way my reality is. But it wasn't that way when I made these dream boards and dream sheets. And of course, they change over the years, too. But let's say that you answer the questions, what do you want? And be careful. This isn't about what the world tells you to want. Oh, I want four mansions and a hundred billion dollars. No, you don't. Maybe, but probably not. You have $100 billion, that owns you. You know, your, your life is now meetings and the sheriff because someone's trying to rip you off and security force. And no, maybe you don't want that at all. Maybe what you want is just enough. Well, what is that? Well, I don't know, maybe 30000 a month, 80000 a month. Whatever that number is, you got to go find it by trying on Dreams, what would it feel like to have 30,000 a month coming in? Well, what about 80,000? Oh, 80,000 feels a lot better than 30,000. But I, I try to do that with 200,000 and I can't feel it at all. So 80,000, that's my number. Okay, fine, write it down. So here's the thing that I want to answer your question. Uh, when people come to a challenge, like that's the first interaction with me. That question comes up a lot. Okay, Jeff, tell me, how many minutes a day do I need to do this to have it work? All right, well, the answer is, you know, if you can do it for 60 seconds to the point where you can see it in your mind's eye and feel it in your spirit, like as though you really have it, you've achieved placebo. You've changed a subconscious belief. And so you've already changed something. You're, it, it is working right now. However, if being lost in a daydream and feeling, let's put it this way, if pretending that life is exactly the way you want it to be right now, no matter what's going on in your quote-unquote reality, you just ignore that. Life is exactly the way you want it to be right now. If that's the most powerfully productive thing you can do, and it's the thing that makes you instantly feel happy and puts you in the most resourceful state to handle life and gives you the premonitions and impulses and uh, all of the things that are coming from your subconscious mind now to make what it believes, its new beliefs about you true, why would you ever come out of your spirit realm, your day, your beautiful dream world? So yeah, you're not used to doing it. Start with one minute, start with five minutes. But it's not like digging a ditch in the backyard. It's not hard, it's not annoying, it's not taxing, it's fun. So like having a real tasty drink in your hand, you don't have to remind yourself, hey, take a sip. You're just constantly taking a sip because it tastes good. 
And that's how getting lost in your beautiful dreams, especially once you've identified the right dreams for you, there's no reason to ever come out. You've mentioned dream boards and other things, right? About how to figure out, you, you talked about how you just sat on a, on a comfy seat for a whole day with a yellow pad. Walk us through a little bit. There's a listener out there thinking, okay, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. Okay. How are they doing it? How are they figuring out what they actually want, how, how they actually need to feel, want to feel? Okay. So you're, you're answering a specific question. What do you want? And this is talking about on a deep level. What would make you satisfied? What, you got to think this through. And you just start jotting down answers. You're going to try on daydreams the way you'd go into a, a store and try on suits and ties and shirts. And the ones you like, you keep. The ones you don't like, you put back on the rack. So once you've answered the question, what do you really want? Now you can start getting lost in scenarios. And they're going to be clumsy at first. You're going to start creating these imaginary scenarios like, okay, what if I had a company and that company was paying me 30,000, 80,000 a month, whatever. And what would I do all day? What would I be doing? What would I do that would be fun? So it's not like, you know, I want to feel fun too. I want to feel meaning. And um, here's what will happen. At first, you will clumsily try to imagine a situation that fits. But you'll be creating feelings, even though they're a little tenuous and clumsy, you'll be creating the feelings of the thing you want. And then all of a sudden, like a movie will break forth in your mind and you're not controlling that anymore. Your subconscious mind is showing you driving in a, you know, a nice car, going to a meeting, or maybe it shows you the meeting and you give a presentation and it and you're just standing there watching this movie of you giving a presentation. And at the end, all these important people jump up and clap and cheer. When that happens, your subconscious mind has bought into your dreams. You've answered the question, what would it feel like to have a different career, a better career where I'm successful? And now it's showing you. It's showing you in, in visions and feelings and uh, impulses. And when that happens, you're on the right track. But think of this, Clay. What if you're living your life that way? Like every day, you're flooding your subconscious mind with the feelings of what you want. And you're using these beautiful daydreams to create the feelings. And now it feels those feelings enough with enough intensity. And by the way, the intensity is just get to where you can feel what it would be like to have it. Like I could ask you right now, <laughs> I could go the opposite direction because you're so fit, you know, but look down and pretend you had a great big gut poking out that you didn't like. And if you imagine having that great big gut, you would be able to feel what it was like to have that, and you wouldn't like it. It would be negative. Oh, I would You'd hate, hate it. it. Yeah. So now let's go back. Let's say you did have a big gut, 
and you want to look like you do now, and you imagine yourself with a flat tummy and a six pack and just feeling lean and strong, and you can imagine that to the point where you can look down and almost, you know, close your eyes, but you can see it and you can feel what it's like to have a six pack. The reason you can feel it is because your subconscious mind is telling you. But if you stay in that, it, you're going to start getting what I call nudges. Like if you stayed in that and it was like, oh my gosh, I love this feeling of having a six pack. Right off the bat, you would get a nudge. Well, how about not eat that last donut, buddy? Or how about take the stairs instead of the elevator? And how about, I mean, it wouldn't kill you to maybe come up with a, a diet. And if you ask me the right question, I'll tell you the right diet. And then let's start doing some ab exercises. And if you stay in that dream of having that great stomach, you can enjoy this is the beautiful part about it. You can enjoy the emotions attached to having a perfect set of abs right now and all day. Like you have them. And that's why you do anything for the feeling of having it. You could have it right now, be basking in those feelings, feeding your subconscious mind who believes your feelings. All it never doubts a feeling. It never thinks that your feelings aren't something it needs to obey. It obeys them every time, all the time. So it'll start bossing you around, telling you what to do to have that dream that you created out of thin air get its physical embodiment. And yeah, you cares? develop the habit, you develop habits, you, they start compounding right. on one another. What's a habit? Think about this. You do something the same way every time. Why? Because your subconscious mind is telling you now without you thinking too much about it. In fact, sometimes in defiance of what you're thinking you ought to do, it's just telling you what you're going to do and you go do it. Everyone with a bad habit knows that. You know, how many times do I have to say I'm done with this? I'm never doing it again. And then tomorrow I do it. Because your subconscious mind believes that that's the role you're playing and it will feed you the impulses and feelings to make you act out this role the way it believes you're doing it. But you can tell it what to believe. And once it believes it, once you've told it in the right language, it will believe it. And now instead of telling you to do the bad habit, Tells you to do the good habit. Now you wake up and you can't wait to do 30 sit-ups. You can't wait to push away the donuts and eat your plate of eggs or broccoli or whatever it is you feel like you should be eating to get those abs. And those, those beautiful abs are in your mind all the time. You can't quit thinking about it. And then you pull pictures and you people understand how... This is so simple, but your job is not to tell, not to figure out how it can happen. Some things are very complicated. You know, you start dreaming about business or something you'd like to do, or, uh, an experience you'd like to have. It might be complicated. You might not have any of the answers. I don't know how to even begin, but you stay in that place of feeling 
and weird coincidences will start popping up. It's just they will, and you can spot them. You can become a coincidence hunter. All of a sudden, a, a video comes to you, you know, like just comes up on your feed, and you didn't go searching for it, but now you got this video, and that leads to something else. And then you meet a guy uh, on the basketball court that just starts, he's talking to someone else, not even you, about your dream. And you just bust in and say, hey, I've been thinking about that too. And the next thing you know, you're on your way. I'm going to leave you with one, one experience. And I think the one I'll share with you is not how I went from 60,000 to like 200,000 a month. That's a great story, but that one's in the book. I'll tell you another one. About 10, 15 years ago, maybe, I knew that I loved tropical environments. And I just love to dream about being in like the Bahamas and there's that clear Caribbean water out there. And, and it would kind of energize me. Well, I started looking for land that I could buy in a tropical country. And I tried everything, Mexico, Costa Rica, the Bahamas. I, I went everywhere. And one by one, I had to cross everything off the list because there was some reason that it didn't work. The last one was actually Costa Rica. I love Costa Rica, but to buy land there, you got to, I don't speak Spanish. And one word in a contract can change everything. You know, you can't buy land if you can't read the contract. And so I crossed Costa Rica off. Plus it's more expensive than here. You know, where if you want to live where you want to live. So anyway, I, I thought, okay, I'm, maybe I have to give up on my dream of owning land in a tropical place. But then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that because the dream has value by itself. Whenever I'm tired, whenever I'm down, I look at a dream board with uh, pictures of, you know, I, I just dream of my office being in the middle of a coconut grove with some blue turquoise water over there and palm trees swaying in the wind it energizes me, makes me feel happy. So I'm going to keep it for the value of how it makes me feel. But I gave up on physically owning land. That's another thing we'll talk about another time. But oftentimes when you give up on something in the physical realm, that's when you get it. But that's a talk for another day. So I get this article in front of me and I wasn't reading on owning land in another country. It was about countries that had no property tax. And Belize is on the list. Now, actually, they do have a little property tax, but my piece on the Blue Lagoon, I pay $12 a year. So you don't even count it, you know, but that, so they do have property tax, but kind of not really. So I'm reading this and I'm like, please, please, is that, you know, by Bali or is that in Indonesia? I didn't even know where it was, but it's the closest Caribbean country. They're an English speaking country. And the more I read about Belize, I call my brother and I'm like, hey, do you want to go to Belize with me? Let's just go check it out. You know, it's got all these crazy things that I didn't even know it existed. So we go, uh, fall in love with the place. 
And now I own several pieces of property in a tropical country after I'd given up on my dream of having it in the physical realm. But I stayed with it in the spirit realm, in my dream world. Dreams find a way. If you stay with them, you build them, they find a way to get their physical embodiment. And you can almost at some point stop. So I'm not going to try anymore. And they'll still, they'll still make it happen. Anyway, I think we've probably covered enough for if people are interested in this way of living and understanding these, the Sultan's seven secrets, it's the seven principles boiled down to what Musa learned from the man made of light. Uh, you can download my book free. I don't want to charge for it. I just want to get the information out. I do challenges and workshops and something called an accelerator program for people who want to work uh, more one-on-one or one in a group. But uh, just read the book. You could be speaking the language of the gods tonight and all day tomorrow. And I promise you, if you do that, your life will change and it will change in the direction of those feelings that you're flooding your subconscious mind with. Things will happen. You can't stop it. You're not tough enough to stop things from happening when you bury your subconscious mind in certain feelings. And you can see it in reverse. You see people who it's like, holy crap, it'd take a miracle for things to go so wrong for that guy. But sadly, your subconscious mind, uh, it's not a passionate entity. It's like a program, uh, like a computer almost that can be programmed. And once it's programmed, it'll carry out the program, whether uh, you like the conscious mind likes the results or not, it doesn't care about that. And there are reasons why you, you learn uh, experiences, the currency of life, and it's unbelievably valuable. You're, we're all getting rich just for being here, like loaded. But we want good experiences. We don't want so many bad experiences. Well, you can create those. Just like the guy who's creating bad experience after bad experience, he's doing it. And his subconscious mind is setting the stage to be congruent with the feelings he's flooding it with. And that's all there is to it. So fascinating. Learn the language. Everybody learn it as fast as you can so I can go retire in Belize. <laughs> Man, I, thank you for taking the time to to spill some of the secrets here, and I will link everything that you just mentioned in the in the podcast notes, so folks have easy access to the book and to the other um, things that you you have going on, Jeff. And I'm just grateful Thanks, for the time. Grateful that you you spent uh, a little over an hour with us today to to walk us through that. And uh, yeah, I think we set a record for the amount the guests spoke and the little work that I had to do, which is fantastic. I give that, I give you a compliment because you were, I was thinking of a question and then you would just answer it. So it was perfect. (laughs) Well, I get accused of ranting a little, but this is just so fun. And the feeling you'll have when you understand this and start doing it and then see the coincidences that pop up, it's so empowering. You realize that well, uh, Musa equates it from coming out of the cave that he was trapped in. 
to uh, when his spirit body floated out of the cave and he just, his physical body was still in the cave, but he floated out and he was free. And that's the feeling you'll have when you understand how the, how life works. Yeah. And fascinating. Well, powering. You've got my commitment to to sit down and with that legal pad and and see what comes out of my brain. I'm I'm very curious to to do the exercise. So I appreciate you walking it through us. And today we've built with Jeff Buner. Jeff, thank you for being on. My pleasure is a blast. Thanks, Clay. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.